Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Brian Woodward. Brian, do you want to say hi? Hi, how's it going? Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Now, um, I think we had you on quite a while ago on JavaScript Jabber. It was episode 98, and we're now past episode 350. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, that episode came out in 2014, so it's been a while. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was talking about mostly assemble at yep. that time. Yep. Yeah, we were talking about assemble.io and uh yeah, we had you and John Schlinkert who I actually talked to last week on and uh yeah, talked about all kinds of stuff. Um I, I think we were also talking a little bit about um you know, just the whole process of building up around that and and some of the infrastructure and funding and things like that there. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Oh, yeah, with um, Assemble and then uh, yeah. also John and I have a company called Sellside. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that we're still building and working on. And a lot of the tools, especially Assemble, that we build um, are all related to us building the Sellside platform. And, and when we launch, how we'll be catering to developers and providing them with tools to be able to build on top of cell side. Very cool. Well, um, this or this show is is more focused on your story, and so uh, we'll probably get into some of these things with cell side and assemble and some of the other stuff that you're doing. Um, but yeah, we, we tend to start a little bit more toward the beginning of your programming career or life. You know, some people get started with programming pretty early. Um, how did you get into programming? I probably have to go back to when I was maybe seven or eight and uh, my dad brought home a, a computer from work and uh, I would <laughs> just being a nerd, really all that was on there was Lotus one, two, three. So oh, wow. I was, uh, I'd play around with that and just put formulas in and see what was going on. And then, uh, I also had a program on there that was, I think it, it could have been called Typing Wizard. I'm not really sure, but it was a game and your character was a wizard that would shoot letters mm -hmm. that were coming at you. And it basically taught me how to type. So that got me interested in computers in general. And my freshman year in high school, uh, I found out that we had a programming class and I took that, uh, which was mostly, I think, Turbo Basic or something like that, True Basic. 
and some Pascal programming. And from there, my senior year in high school, I, I had another class and that was actually true basic on an Apple uh, LC2s. So they were pretty old and basic. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I would program small games like the, the snake style game. And uh, that got me interested even more in programming and computer science. Right. And I switched my, my potential major that I wanted to do uh, for college from architecture to computer science. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? I mean, um, I wanted to be a doctor all my life. And then I took some electronics classes in high school. And yeah, I wound up being an electrical engineering major. So. It's just, it's just funny how that all goes. So you got into programming as a younger person and you kind of came up through the, you know, through the ranks. Um, I'm assuming you got a computer science degree then, kind of implied that. Yes, I ended up going to college and got a computer science degree and, um, and then started working shortly after college just uh, in programming in a lot of different fields or a lot of different fields and um, I had mostly worked with Microsoft technologies C sharp and uh, and mm -hmm. SQL server and um, and for companies like banks insurance companies did some contracting and then and at the time uh, JavaScript wasn't really used as much for building the single page apps the same way that it is now. Right. However, I had, uh, I had done some JavaScript in college for uh, basically working with a friend of mine. He, he built some uh, movable type websites. Right. And so he would get me to do some things like modifying like how dropdowns worked and everything like that just with some basic JavaScript. And then I think when I got into my Microsoft career, it uh, did mostly ASP.NET and then eventually ASP MVC pages. Uh -huh. And uh, we started using some tools like Knockout uh, for some of managing our data on the front end. Right. And got into some Angular and to do some single page app style sites but they were all they're all pretty much internal company sites right and, yeah uh, it's funny how many folks that i've talked to just out there in the wider javascript community are working for things that are only seen internally at companies yeah it's pretty pretty interesting because now with i think with being able to rapidly deploy a lot of these sites and like just create them and deploy them it's uh -huh. easy to create a small app that you're going to use inside your company and not have to worry about creating it for an entire, you know, public website. For right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too. I mean, getting into JavaScript, it wasn't widely used. You wind up working with a friend that, that used it. It's, it's, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people, they get into the web world and it was, Oh, JavaScript was this thing that I kind of had to deal with. And then eventually, you know, they kind of grow into it and it sounds, it sounds like that's not too far off from where you came into it. Yeah, I basically grew into it 
uh, just doing some front end stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when John and I started working together, we, uh, uh, as probably went over that story when we talked about assemble and the reason that we built assemble was because I was doing everything in visual studio and, uh, we initially started building things in C sharp and ASP.net and he was doing design work and he would give me his HTML and CSS and, and, you know, try to get me to put those into front end, uh, or use them. And I'd always screw something up. <laughs> something <laughs> so, so we created assemble to make it easier for him to, uh, run and prototype and uh, create the templates using the same data that would be used. And then that way I could write the code that would also, um, you know, produce that data and then apply it to the templates to generate our sites. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's when I got into uh, working with Node.js and um, JavaScript on the server side, like more heavily and uh and really became good at javascript and i think i i can't remember the last time i've uh, done a c-sharp site or asp.net anything like that it's pretty much all javascript with uh static sites or some front end like single page app type sites right so i guess uh what i'm curious about is you know you, you did c-sharp for a long time um, you probably learned, you know, maybe a couple of other languages throughout the course of your career and your education. So why settle on JavaScript? What was it with JavaScript and Node.js as opposed to C Sharp or, you know, some of the other things that are out there that you may have tried? I think the biggest thing is that, and I think that um, NPM and GitHub have helped this a lot, is that when we started working with JavaScript and Node specifically was that we were able to find uh, libraries that um, complemented uh, JavaScript and be able to find open source projects that were able to be used in the products that we were building. And we were also able to create open source projects and allow other people to use them and get uh, feedback and help on them that way without uh without having to keep everything internal mm -hmm. just as a you know so it's not a black box and and just the way that the ecosystem was growing at the time when we started working with javascript i think it really helped us decide that we were gonna stick with javascript and do pretty much everything full stack javascript at the time sorry i have a dog in the background <laughs> no it's all good so i guess the the other question i have is uh, related to that, you mentioned that you went through Knockout and then Angular. Um, is, is that kind of the stack that you settled on now? Is sort of a, a Node and Angular stack, or are you onto some other technology now? Uh, right now, we actually are using a, a Node on the back end, and then we've used mostly React for a lot of things on the front end. Uh, either that or just static HTML and just uh, some JavaScript and maybe jQuery if if it's needed, but not as much um, 
Not as much front end JavaScript. That makes sense to me. So what are you working on now? So a couple of things um, are cleaning up and re-releasing some of the projects that we had been working a lot on. Uh, one of them that was recently released, uh, a version 2.0 was Enquire, uh-huh. which, um, which is a, a tool for building uh, CLI apps. Right. And, uh, and that's one that is a basis for any kind of, well, CLI tools that, that we want to build. And some of those other tools um, that go along with Assemble, we have a tool called Generate, which is, well, a, you could call it a project generator or just a file generator, or it, it basically allows you to create a project. And then you would take that, project and you could potentially create a assemble project and then use assemble to build your project. And then we have another tool called update, which update allows you to update projects and it's basically for project maintaining and it's helped us because we have, I think roughly 1400 uh, NPM modules that we've published Oh wow! And being able to maintain those and, make sure that license files are up to date and, and if any new conventions or standards uh, come up, we can easily go through our projects when we touch them and, and bring them up to date with how we're working. Uh, and the last one uh, that pretty much makes up like our, our, our toolkit is called verb and that's for generating readme documentation. Mm-hmm. So all of them, those four tools are all based around uh, the same type of thing, that they're CLI apps that can use data and templates to uh, to scaffold out and generate other uh, tools to be able to help you uh, rapidly maintain and build sites and documentation. Cool, very cool. Uh, one other question that I like to ask, and this is something that's—I always get an interesting answer to this—is um, was there a turning point or something you struggled with, you know, coming into um, JavaScript or programming in general, or you know, wherever it is you are now, um, you know, that that you can talk through with us. Um, it's just everybody kind of struggles in a different place, but at the same time, a lot of us struggle with the same kinds of things. And so I'm curious, you know, is there something that comes to mind when, when we talk about a turning point or a struggle for you? I think that when I started programming, as I mentioned in high school, I was, I was looking at it as a way because it was a way that I could create games. (laughs) I was really into games and I would, when to learn more about programming to be able to create games. And as it turns out, after going through college and most of my jobs uh, that I'd work at, you know, I was, I was building business apps or doing something with finance and, and I kind of got away from doing the games and everything. And I kind of, I think the struggle at that time was I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my career or what I really wanted to do with programming and keep going. So 
so that point I decided to go back to school to get a, a business degree and to learn more about uh, business and different aspects of that. And when I was going through school was around the same time that I met uh, John and I was working as a consultant at uh, another startup that he had started. And, uh, and the getting my business degree, learning about business and working with him and learning even more about business, I think was the main turning point for me in my career when I decided to then later start a company with John and, and having the knowledge of the business background now has really helped. And I think it's helped my programming also because I can, I can look at, uh, I can look at challenges in different ways now to see how, how this is actually going to impact anything that we're doing for our business and being able to apply that through code. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like, um, some of the advice that I've heard out there where, uh, people essentially say every programmer should go freelance for a year because <laughs> it'd make them a better programmer. And this is yeah. kind of, right. You struggle through that kind of, you know, what is a business? What does it need? How does it work? Um, yeah, exactly. Starting businesses is a, it's a, it's interesting process and there's, um, and there's a lot more to be done than you would think, but Sometimes it's also, you just have to do it and, and see how it turns out, you know? Very cool. Well, I did have a conversation with um, John last week, like I said, about um, open source, sustainability, maintainability. Um, and I'm curious, is that something that you folks at Southside are working on? I mean, some of the things that you talked about, like uh, the upgrade and the, you know, the readme tools, you know, are in line with that. Is, is that a major focus for you guys? Uh, yeah. So when we started out, we, we open sourced our projects and we thought, you know, maybe some people were going to uh, get some use out of these and this, it has grown a lot more. And what we found is that being able to uh, sustain the growth, <laughs> you know, to be able to keep maintaining these projects, we needed even more tools to help maintain it. And, uh, and I think it's a big topic right now is the open source sustainability. Uh, there's been a couple companies that have been uh, creating ways to be able to try to get uh, main open source maintainers funding uh, so that they can continue maintaining their projects. And there's a lot of companies that, that rely on open source projects. So they rely on these maintainers also to be able to fix bugs and everything. So we've been talking with a couple of the companies and seeing how we can participate in that and try to help out with, uh, you know, being able to fund some of our projects through that, but then also coming up with programs on how to help other maintainers fund their programs and or fund their projects and, uh, and just evaluating, you know, how that's going to work and, and then building tools around those to be able to help developers uh, continue maintaining their projects. Nice. And yeah, we did have a conversation. Hopefully it comes to fruition here within the next few months about starting a podcast about that. So yeah, John was telling me about that and I'm really excited to, uh, 
to hear that <laughs> and to see how that turns out. So, yeah, well, I think it's an important part of the community and, you know, you see people talk about it some at some of the conferences, um, especially some of the ones focused around open source, but at the same time, it just, I don't know, I, the conversation moves slowly because it, it either happens across various projects. <laughs> we should just do a podcast on this cause I could go on forever. Um, but various projects on GitHub or in, you know, some forum here or there or on an email thread, but it's, there, there's no cohesive place where some of this conversation happens. And so I think a podcast about it would be really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Being able to have all the conversations recorded somewhere. Yep. Very cool. Well, um, is there anything else that you want to highlight or bring up that you're doing or think is important for people to know about before we do fix? Uh, I think the only thing is that um, to go along with uh, some of the maintainability aspects of open source is um, something that we haven't uh, specifically built tools around, but uh, I like some of the tools that are out there um, and that's uh, testing code and mm -hmm. Especially with uh, unit testing, we've been uh, using Jest a lot, which is a, a tool from out of Facebook, and I think it's been around for a few years. And uh, another one that I just found out about is called Cypress, cypress.io. They do uh, front-end integration testing, and that's, uh, that's something I'm exploring more and really enjoying using because I've used tools in the past that don't see as uh, don't seem as complete cool very cool yeah um, Cypress is very nice and uh, they're definitely yeah I'd love to see better tools come out for a lot of that stuff all right well let's go ahead and do some picks do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show uh, well Cypress was one of them and then another thing is uh, just to kind of shout out that um, on John uh, repository we have a couple of maintainer guides that are created for open source maintaining and uh, also for contributing to open source projects uh, I can put links in yeah one is called the maintainers guide to staying positive and the other is idiomatic contributing so those two uh, guides I think are great for open source nice well, I'm going to get on and I'm going to pick some stuff that's not technical, but uh, is kind of fun. So uh, recently I've been playing with Instagram. Um, so if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm Charles Maxwood on Instagram. It's all one, or, you know, it's all run together. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of just posting everything. So it's going to be a hodgepodge, right? So. If you look on there right now, I think there are a couple of pictures of what I'm doing today and a picture from a daddy-daughter dance that I went to with my 10-year-old on Saturday. Um, you know, and I'm going to try and be posting more photographs of things that I, you know, that I'm working on here while I'm um, going through my day. But yeah, I'm, I'm really digging that. And uh, so I'm going to pick that. And then, um, I don't know, I think that's it for right now. So yeah, Instagram, that's something that I need to get into more is posting photos. I don't really do too much of the. I feel like I'm late to the party, but <laughs> that that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, if people want to find you online, where do they find you? 
on GitHub and Twitter. My username is Doob. That's D-O-O-W-B. It's also on NPM. And I do have a a blog, uh, doob.com. And it's I'm trying to get started with that a little more and uh, to write a little more, but um, mostly technical type things. So. Nice. One resource I have for that, I guess I'll throw out another pick. You're getting into blogging. Uh, Darren Rouse from problogger.com. Mm-hmm. He has a terrific course. It's 31 days to build a better blog. And he walks you through all the different things you should be doing. Um, a bunch of different ways to post. Uh, all kinds of stuff. It, it's really terrific. So I, I, I would recommend that. Great. have to check that out. Oh, hey, another thing that I'd like to pick is uh, it's called Toastmasters. And this is a organization that helps people with their uh, speaking, like public speaking and uh, leadership skills. It's something I started going to meetings about a year ago now. I think it's helped me understand how to uh, create speeches, but also to create uh, documentation and to create uh, just put together ideas to be able to explain to people what I really want to get across. Yeah, I, I, I will second that pick. I, I went to Toastmasters for a few years and then um, I signed up for some coaching that was at the same time that my club met. And so I, I haven't been for about a year. I need to, I need to find another club to go to because it was, it was really, really beneficial to me. And it was also great because there were just terrific people there that were, all friendly and willing to help with all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. I've met a lot of great new friends so far. Yep. But yeah, uh, Toastmasters definitely worth checking out. And you, you can find a club near you. I think at Toastmasters.org. I think is there. Uh, yes, correct. You should be able to go in there and search. Yep. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Brian. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, we'll wrap this one up folks and we will be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.